in the uh, first experience, someone came up to me and was like, you were pretending, right? You're not that bad. That's all real. <laughs> That's the voice of Brian Adams. He's an angel. That's the, I have the same voice as Brian Adams. You guys don't see. Okay. And so what would make that really weird? All right, let's, let's, let's pretend for a second. Ava's standing up here. Imagine I come walking in and I sing that song to somebody else not named Ava. She would have issue with that, wouldn't she? Or, or imagine I, I came in, or, or, or I, uh, I had somebody, what did I just say? What example did I use? I had you up here. Now, now imagine if Ava's not up there and it's somebody else. Ava has issue with that. What makes that appropriate, what makes that work, is that the object of the song is, is appropriate given the relationship. And, and so my question for us is, is what, what brings us to a place of song? What gets you up out your seat? What gets you excited? Who, what is maybe the object of, of, your, of your song, if you will? And don't pretend like you don't have moments like that. Y'all been to karaoke bars, or maybe, maybe you're that macho macho dude, you're like, Homeboy don't sing for nothing. Bull. You've been in traffic before, and that song came on, and you did the look around, and you're like, I, I, your foot starts tapping, the, the steering wheel starts going, and five minutes in, you're all into the YMCA, busting out. Like, you, you have some sort of a song that will get you to the point of singing. So the question for us is, I think a song becomes worship, when it gets us to move, and it's worship when the object is God. Shouldn't a song, like if I sing a love song to my wife, is it really a love song if I'm not willing to act? Like I, it's one thing to sing Brian Adams to my wife. It's another thing to put the kids to bed at night. It, it's one thing to go to a karaoke bar and blast out Whitney Houston to your boyfriend. But when your boyfriend says, hey, can you bring me to the airport tomorrow at 5 a.m.? And you're like, mm, no. That, that's the difference, isn't it? And so for us, the question has to become, as we wrestle with this today, is what is going to get us to a point of action? It's one thing to sing a song to Jesus. It's a whole other thing to act upon that. I want to read us a psalm, a song that, that was written and it would have been sung, it would have been read, it would have been articulated when somebody was walking into the temple, they're singing the psalm of praise while they're giving a sacrifice to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, a church father well known, said this of Psalm 100, nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than the singing of this noble psalm by a vast congregation. This, these five verses are are powerful when we, when we spend time to chew on it. So here's, here's how this psalm starts. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That's verse 1. I, I want us to leave here with one comment, one phrase just ingrained into our head. Here's the big thought for us this morning. So moved to move. So moved to move to the point where can you tap the person next to you and say, so moved to move. So moved to move. Now, now, here's what I mean by that. That's not just a cute phrase. That's not just trying to get you to tap the person next to you so you can take them to Starbucks and then you one day get married. But, but the reason I say that, the reason I think this is so important to us is are we moved by God enough to move for God? Are we so moved 
to move. Because here's, here's what the psalm starts off with. It's an invitation to all the earth to praise our God up in heaven. It's, it's an invitation open to all, but not all will take it. One day, every knee will bow, but here on earth, you have a choice to say yes to a relationship with Jesus and worship him with all eternity, but to worship him with enthusiasm. It's a, it's a joyful, a, a joyful noise. That, that is the same, that's a word of enthusiasm. That's, that's the same word that would be used of a king coming into his kingdom, going through the gate in his country. His, his people are there lining the streets, singing praises to the king after he's coming in with victory. It's that type of enthusiasm. So if we're moved by God, shouldn't our joyous king be worshipped by joyous people? And so here's how, if we're moved by God, I think there are three ways in which this moving should take place, how we should move if we're so moved by God. The first is move to serve. The, sec- the second verse in, our, in Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. The psalmist, the, the psalmist that's, that's writing this knows that in the Hebrew, there's no disconnect. There's no disconnect between song and deed. That if, if I'm going to worship the Lord, I'm worshiping him with my mouth, and I'm worshiping him with action. There's no gap there. And, and when we worship him with song, when we worship him in, in action, the same thing carries over. I'm worshiping him with enthusiasm, whether it's with my word or my legs. I'm worshiping with that same sort of joy. What's being assumed here, what's being, what's being articulated here is, is, is you guys were all kids at some point. You remember asking, being asked to clean your rooms? Jonathan's there. Hey, John, you ever been asked to clean your room? Now, now you, you, can, you can do the deed and, and, and obey your parent by cleaning your room, but I know here none of us ever cleaned our room stomping. None of us ever cleaned our room muttering under our breaths. None of us ever put, made our parents blow a gasket when they heard us mumbling. Can you imagine? I have kids, and I can't imagine this. If our kids were asked to clean their room and then did the I Love Cleaning My Room song with it. That's a dream. Oh, I can't wait to clean my room, Mama. Oh, let me, again, you start dancing like, I can't wait to do this. And that's what's being insinuated here. Although we might not clean our rooms like that, and that, there's some humor behind that, but shouldn't our joyous king be served by joyous people, that the same enthusiasm that they put into song is now put into action. But it parallels something. It parallels the presence of God. What does it, what does it say about us if we're willing to lift a holy hand to the Lord but never serve him? What does God think of that? Because what he invites us into is his presence. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. That you and I, I always try to make sure that when I'm preaching God's word, that there's something in the text that hits me personally so that I can come to you out of a place of passion and as a student first. And this is the spot that just riveted me. That, that just that made me sit and pause because you know what? There's a group of individuals that I will never be privileged enough to meet. 
I can't walk up uninvited into the White House. I can't go to a gated community and see my favorite celebrity or my favorite athlete. I can't go to a sporting event, jump on the field, and high-five my favorite players. I can't go to a concert, jump up on stage, high-fiving my favorite musician or whatever. There's a group of people that I'm not privileged enough to have that sort of a relationship with, but serve the Lord Come into his presence. We get that moment by moment, day by day, month by month. We get that every single moment to be in the presence of the living God. We get to know through, through our service, through our worship, we get to know the nearness of our God. And when we serve, guess what else that means? We're helping others know that same nearness. When I serve, I help others know the nearness of God. There are two people in my, in my starting point this week that, that came a little early, and I asked them, like, you've been, you've been coming to starting point now for seven weeks. You love Jesus, and you're serving in youth ministry. You're serving in the children's ministry. You're serving all over the place. Why do you serve? And they, and, and they said some really awesome things to me. They said, I, I want to grow. And like Katie said, I, I'm growing in my walk with Jesus. And if I'm, if I'm going to be growing, if I understand Jesus more, how could I say I'm growing in my faith but yet not, not serving him? She, she said, people were praying for me to come to church, and now I get to be part of answer prayer, answered prayers for other people. Christina, Christina said to me, she was, she was serving in, in the children's ministry the, last week. And it's not your kids, it's a problem because our, your kids never cry. But she was, she, was, she was in the nursery and there was two really rowdy kids, two really just like crying, crying, crying kids. And she, she, was, she was like, I, I thought like I need to quickly go and get the parents to shut these kids up. And then she, she didn't say it just like that, she loves your kids. But then she thought for a second, and she told me this on Tuesday night. Ava was there. She, she said, but these might be somebody's ones. Somebody that has, that somebody has been praying for these, these moms and dads to come to church. And I have the opportunity to love this child, to give the parents time of rest in the service, to hear the word of God. I, I am an answer to prayer for some people as I take care of this child. And I, I was moved to choke up because I was like, what an attitude from two young ladies, 25 and under. When we get to serve, we, we get to help people understand the nearness of our God. And we get to do it with enthusiasm. We're not opening the door saying, welcome in. God might do something. <laughs> yeah, you can park your darn car right here. Hope you get out. That we get to do it with enthusiasm. Christina mentioned that. She's like, I hadn't been to church for years, and I came here, and people were, were happy. They were actually happy I was there, and it made me want to come back. Because when we serve the Lord with enthusiasm, guess what? That's contagious. And it's the type of contagious I want. I want to help others know the presence of God, and so I can't just go on social media and throw a status up saying, I love my Jesus. Too many statuses end without action. I can't just make a list of New Year's goals and say, I'm going I'm, I'm to lose some weight. I'm going to kick this habit. And then by the end of January, what you wrote down on a piece of paper is meaningless because no action has been taken with it. It's one thing to lift a holy hand, but to do nothing about it. And so we get to, instead of complaining, we get to be part of a solution. A glass half empty perspective when it comes to service is, is well, what good am I? 
I can't help in the parking lot. Do I really matter? Or God would never use me, but God chooses to use you. A glass half empty approach says that I'm useless when it comes to serving God. What good, what, what good thing has your glass half empty approach to life ever accomplished? But a glass half full approach says, God, you don't need me, but you choose to use me. God, you don't need me, but I can be a smiling face in a parking lot that says that you value as soon as you get in the parking lot. God, you can uh, empower me to work with children in the nursery so that parents get that needed rest where, where I know Ethan has never, ever cried, but maybe Lindsay and Kevin are just so thankful for this moment to sit in here amongst you all. That we get to be used by God so instead of being part of the problem, we're part of the solution. I'd rather be part of the solution. And so, yes, if we are so moved to move, we will be moved to serve. But the second thing that the psalmist is, is inquiring of us, is, is requiring of us, is that we would be moved to understanding. He says, know that the Lord, he is good. He has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is the same word. The no that is used in that verse is the same word that is used in Psalm 46.10. Be still and no. I don't think sitting here reflecting on the word of God is doing nothing. Now you ask a a construction worker about a hippie that sits and meditates for a little bit, they would probably tell you that's doing nothing. But for us, as we, as we sit and we think and we reflect, is it really a lack of action or is it not action? Is reflection not a form of action? As you sit and, and you think about, about a verse, as you think about God, as you think about growing and understanding, because if we're going to worship God, don't we have to understand the God in which we're worshiping? Don't, if, if I'm truly going to worship God, don't I have to at least at some level, although those levels might vary, at some level don't I have to understand the God that I am worshiping? So if I were to sit and to reflect and try to deepen my understanding, I could just look at this verse and say, God is God? Guess what that means? He's sovereign. He's in control, even when the world doesn't feel like it. What I see in this verse is that if I were to pause and to reflect and to try to gain understanding that I am his possession. I belong to the God of this universe and he wants me. This, this verse talks about that, that we are sheep and that, that he is a shepherd. If we are sheep, then you know what else that kind of means if I think about it? Sheep are dumb. And the shepherd is brilliant in comparison and that might sound offensive, but when I think of God and I give understanding to that, shouldn't God be all-knowing? Shouldn't God be completely intelligent? Shouldn't God have all the answers? And when I think about the comparison between me and God, sheep and shepherd actually kind of works, and I'm good with it because I want God to be all-knowing, all-powerful, all of those things. And if God is a shepherd, as I sit and I reflect upon this, then he's a God of guidance. He's a God of protection. He's a God of, of providing. And I, and I want that of my God. And as I grow in that understanding, shouldn't that drive me to a place of worship? And, and it should. As I think, God, I belong to you. I'm good with that. I will lift a holy hand saying, God, I am yours. But last night, some of you were traveling in circles where to say you belong to somebody lifts a middle finger to the Lord. Tell, tell me, I, I ain't no one's man. 
I ain't no one's girl. Like, we would travel in certain circles in our culture that would say to belong to somebody, to be somebody's possession is utterly offensive. But when we pause, reflect, and when we're moved to understanding, aren't we moved to understand that if God is God, I want to be his possession, that he's not so distant, he's not so far, that he chooses to love me as if I'm the only one I want to be his. That will require us to pause and to reflect. Because what that means is that I'm no longer going to let circumstances define me. I'm no longer going to let my past define me. I'm not going to be defined by my kids. I'm not going to be defined by, by my congregation. I'm not going to be defined by my job. If I am his, then what defines me is child of God. And I want to grow in that understanding. I, I started a men's life group Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. You all should come uh, if you're a dude uh, at Cafe Enigma. We eat breakfast and we talk about Jesus. It's really awesome. We talk about the sermon. And we started and 11 dudes showed up. And, uh, and, and the first two questions I asked was, let's go around and uh, say your name. What's your name? And, uh, and why you're here. And I don't know if they didn't answer this correctly because, or if they answered it truthfully because, you know, Pastor Jason, they have to lie even if they don't mean it. And, uh, and so, but here's, here's, what they, here's what they didn't say. They did, none of them, all of, well, 11 of them, some of them were in this room. Like, none of them said, I'm here because my wife is a real nag and this hour gets me out the house. None of them said, my kid was up last night with boogers and stuff, all the germs, and so I'm out the house, I'm here. None of them said, my parole officer is making me be here. Well, they all said two elements of the same thing. They all said, all 11 of them said two things. I want to know other, pe- I want to know other dudes in our church, and this is an opportunity to get to know other people better in the church. And, and, and some of the other ones said, like, I want to know God more. I want to grow in my understanding of God. They wanted to grow in relationship with each other as they were growing in relationship with God. Yes, even dudes like relationship, even if they don't admit it to their wives. And so I invite you out on Wednesday mornings because there was a group of people that wanted to hear more about God. That's why our life groups are sermon series based. Here, if you come here hoping that this is going to teach you everything you need to know about God, guess what? I'm an idiot and I can't teach you that. My goal here is to be used by the Holy Spirit to nudge you. And what will you do when you're nudged? Will you go deeper in that understanding? Will you join a life group? Will you, will, you, will you yourself get into the word of God? Or is this the end-all, be-all? If this is the end-all, be-all, you will always be frustrated. If we're moved to understanding, then we're going to be moved to life groups. We're going to be moved to personal study. We're going to be moved to do something about it. In, in a moment, we're going to sing a song called, Who You Say I Am. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I want this. I want this for you. I want you to grow in your understanding that you are not defined by what's around you. You are defined by the living God. And we get to worship God in song and know that in a few moments. The third thing is, if we're so moved to move, that we'll be moved to serve, we'll be moved to understanding, but then, but then lastly, we'll be moved to move, and to stay captivated. But and what I mean by captivated, that's one of our core values here, is that we want to create captivating environments. 
And, and what I think is a captivating environment is not the bells and the whistles, not the lights, not the, that there's like mic things here, not that there's like this cute picture on, these, on this mic board here, not that there's four guitars up here. Like this is all well and good, and you can come in here and be completely captivated by all of this. But if you come in here and see and visit a group of people that are not captivated first by their God, this is a drag. A captivating environment is First and foremost, about a people captivated by God. I want the people at the door. I want the people in the parking lot. I want the people in the, in the GE. I want the people in, in the nursery and in the children's to be so captivated by God that it becomes contagious for you and I, where I see what they're doing and I want more of it. And we hear that about people. Christina said it. They all were happy and I wanted more of whatever they had. And what she didn't know at the time, but now she knows is, they had Jesus, and she wanted that because it was contagious. And so are we moved to want that for other people? This talks about that we get to enter his... Did I read the verse? I don't think I read that. I got so excited. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. I get to enter the courts of God. This verse mentions the personal name of God, that you get to know God personally. You know the courts are meant for people that are clean, that had it all right with God? They would make certain sacrifices, and once they had the sacrifices made, then they could enter the courts that were made for, that were there for holy people. Not anybody could enter the courts. And this psalmist has the guts to tell a bunch of people that you get to enter the courts of the holy God with what? Thanksgiving. So y'all didn't bring an animal today to make your sacrifice. Y'all sinned yesterday. I mean, we all did. But none of you brought an animal here today to, to sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus is the final once and for all sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that died on our behalf. And so we no longer sacrifice because Jesus was the sacrifice. So that may have expired, but here's what hasn't expired. Coming into the presence of God with thanksgiving. Being in God's courts with thanksgiving. Going to be that the fact that I get to know God and he knows me personally, that I get to do that with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving must drive us. Thanksgiving never goes out of date because when I think about thanksgiving, when I, when I take time to understand God, I understand that I have received mercy and did nothing to earn it. And so I thank my God for it. And here's one of the things that I thank him for, which, 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 which I had to ponder a little bit this week. A God that can change his mind would be a terror. That I have the mercy of God and it's everlasting. Which means I don't wake up in my bed every single morning wondering, is God going to take away his mercy from me? What, what did I do yesterday? God, did I, did I do something that you're going to, that, hey, it was cool to, to say yes to relationship with Jesus. God, I received your mercy, but now, now I'm wondering, God, are you going to renege? Are you going to take it away? That God, as an everlasting God, is consistent and his mercy is everlasting, which it's not just for this moment. It's for the moments to come, the moments to come. It's for the generations, the kids, and, and, and all to come. He's everlasting. I don't live as if God is going to remove his mercy from me someday. I've said yes to it. He's extended it to me. And now it's not mine for forevermore. And so what will you do with that? Will you be used by God to, what does it say, the next generation? next generation. I want my kids to know a lot of things, and first and foremost is the relationship with God. 
I uh, had the opportunity, my last Sunday I rolled into church, and I grew up in New England, so don't judge me, uh, and I'm a pretty wicked Red Sox fan, and y'all know they're in the World Series, y'all know they're one game away from winning that World Series, huh? And, uh, and I, had, uh, I had on my bucket list that I wanted to take my boys to a World Series game at Fenway Park, and, uh, and so... I thought about it, I talked to Ava, and she was like, well, that's going to cost money. I was like, yeah, but it's on my bucket list. <laughs> and it's going to cost money. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I was like, okay, fine. I will sell a bunch of crap on Facebook Marketplace. And I did. I tried so hard. I had things I didn't even know I had up on the Marketplace trying to sell it for overpriced prices. And, and I, had, I sold about $350 worth of stuff. And I came into church, and guess what? All the deals fell through. I had nothing. And I couldn't take my kids to the Red Sox. And we're one game away from winning the World Series. Because I wanted them to know that their daddy loves the Red Sox. And I wanted them someday to take their kids to the Red Sox. And I wanted them to take their kids to the Red Sox. I wanted this to happen again. But I was like, I have to go to the game because it was 86 years before a World Series. Like, I may never have the opportunity again. I have to do it. They have to know how, like, they're in enemy territory. If I don't ingrain in them Red Sox, John Bowinsky's going to tell them, Yankee, Yankee, Yankee. You know he won't do that. He respects me. And so I, I came after church, I was pretty bummed because all the deals had fallen through and my close, some close friends, some staff behind my back in, in all the right ways had pulled some money and, and said, we're going to send you and your kids to the Red Sox, to the World Series. And it just humbled me. And, and, and one of the individuals called me later that afternoon and, and, and said, Jason, I'm not going to promise to slash your tires, but if you choose to donate that money and not go to the game, I'm going to slash your tires. And I, and I had to sit for a second. I was like, that's, that's a lot of money, and why would I go? I would go because I'm motivated to have that experience with my kids. I'm motivated. Gratitude for these people motivated me to action to actually go and appreciate the gift that they gave to me by going. And so these are some of the pictures of, of that game. This is my dad and my kids, and, uh, and then a time with Landon. Landon's favorite memory from the game, if you guys watched the first game, was all, all of Fenway Park was chanting Kershaw, and it got in his head, and he, we rattled him. I was part of rattling him. I won us the game. Landon loved that. And then time, time with Brady, and, and then because we were able to do that, I checked off number 36, attended Red Sox World Series game at Fenway Park with my boys. Check. <laughs> Thank you. Clap. Clap. Go Red Sox for one game away. But here's, here's, the, here's why I say that. I, don't, I, don't, like, I really grew up in New Hampshire. I'm not trying to poke the bear of all you Yankee fans. But, but here's why I share that. Because that's meaningless in comparison to my kids knowing a relationship with Jesus. If they die, the biggest Red Sox fans in the world, but say no to Jesus, I'm a failure. I want them to know the goodness of our God. We're going to sing a song in a moment that's called Freedom that says, Dance like the weight has been lifted. Chains will fall. Prisons shake. At the sound of Jesus' name, I want my kids not to know about the Red Sox, although that's cool and all. I want them to know the goodness of our God. And for generations and for generations and for generations, I want my family heritage to be singing the praiseworthy name of Jesus Christ. That's a successful life. And so we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Will we stay captivated by the Lord 
Jesus Christ. If we're so moved to move, we will be moved to serve. We will be moved to understanding. We will be moved. We will move, and we will stay captivated. So our kids and our kids' kids and the people that we encounter, encounter at this church will know the praiseworthy name of our God. If we understand God, then we're going to understand that we're going to praise him in gratitude, that we get to go into his courts, that we get to be in the presence of God, that he calls us by name. And so what I hope is that when people walk through our church and when they leave this church, that they would say of our church, man, that church knows how to worship. But that phrase, that church knows how to worship, can only ever be said of a church that knows the God in which they worship. A church that's growing in that faith. I don't want them just to leave, say, oh, that church knows how to worship. I want our worship to be so contagious that they want what we're throwing down, if you will. And so are we growing in our faith? Are we thankful? Are, if we're thankful for God, do we erupt in worship? Or do, we, do we sing praises, but do our praises lead to action? And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean like when I say erupt into praise. I don't mean that, that when, that when we, we understand Jesus and we go to a place of song, that all of a sudden our dancing shoes have to come off and we have to be, like all of that. Like that's not, like some people might be moved to dancing and that's good. I want, David came into the city and he said, I'm going to become even more undignified than this. And he was praising God. But that's not everybody's worship. So I'm not here to judge your worship, but are, are you moved in your understanding of God to worship? And for you, worship might mean like you're just sitting and taking it in, and this is the only time that you're still all week. And so you just in stillness take in God, and you're worshiping God in stillness. That might be you. But does your understanding of God, what I mean by that, does your understanding of God drive you to a place of worship? That's what a life and an act of worship is. It goes beyond song. And so I, this, this is my challenge for you. Would you take, pull out your cell phones. Y'all got a smartphone. Pull out, a, pull out your cell phones and, and take a picture of this. Would you, would you start by this one simple action? Would you be willing to take a picture of this screen or take a picture of whatever and then post on social media and answer that question? God, I'm thankful for God, I'm thankful for. Would you be willing to state it publicly what you're thankful of God for? And, and, I, and I see some of your phones out and, and whatnot, and, or maybe you'll post it later after you pray and think about it a little bit. But, but what are you thankful for? Would you say it publicly? But then here's what, my, here's what I leave you with. Here's the question I leave you with. You can post on social media, and that's good. So, but, but, but so many times we post on social media and then there's no fruit. There's no action taken. I care deeply about the homeless, but then I do nothing to help the homeless. I just poke the bear on social media. If you're thankful, my question for you and I becomes, what will we do about it? What are you thankful for and what will you do about it? And so we're going to now transition into a time of worship. And one of the, the first song we're going to sing is a new song called Grateful. And I want to get off the stage and allow Carly to explain why we're singing this song, Grateful.